This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margo. And I'm Jenna. And we are here with part two of the Brownsville Child Murders. So today we are heading back to Brownsville, Texas, to continue learning more about the gut-wrenching murder case from 2003 that shocked this small southwestern community to its core. And based on the fact that I am losing my voice and this uh, this case was pretty disturbing and upsetting, we are going to go ahead and skip the intro and sense of place for this part two, which I'm sure many people will be thrilled about and maybe some other people will be disappointed, but we're just going to jump right into part two of the episode And before we jump in, I just want to quickly take us back to where we left off last time. And if you'll recall, John Allen and Angela had recently found out that there was a clerical error with their eldest daughter, Julissa's records. And that's why she was likely going to lose food stamp access. And they were also potentially losing access to Medicaid. So they headed down to the hospital to try and get it sorted out, but were unable to do so. And on their way back from the hospital, that's when John Allen's paranoia and him seemingly losing touch with reality really started to become apparent. And that paranoia and lost touch with reality unfortunately resulted in John Allen and Angela murdering their three children. And where we were last time is that John Allen's brother and girlfriend had found out what happened, flagged down police, and sent them over to John Allen and Angela's house. And the police were trying to make sense of what had happened in that apartment. The apartment was a chaotic mess. It was filled with garbage, and it made it difficult for the investigating officers to work their way through. The suspects, Angela and John Allen, as well as the witnesses, Maria and Jose, John's brother, were all taken down to the station. And that is where we will pick back up. The suspects, Angela and John Allen, as well as the witnesses, Marie and Jose, who was John's, John Allen's brother, younger brother, were all taken to the station. Detective Briones took Jose's official statement, and Detective, Detective Vejo took Maria's official statement, which ended up being very, very similar to Jose's. So for interest of time and just emotional stress, I'm going to just share a bit of Jose's statement. So Jose stated that he arrived at his brother's apartment and when his en- and when he entered his brother hugged him. Jose mentioned that his brother seemed more quiet than usual. When Jose asked about the children, he got no response from his brother or from Angela. He stated that a table was blocking the way to the kitchen and the restroom area and the door to the bedroom is closed. The officer Interviewing Jose said, is this unusual for the bedroom door to be closed? And Jose said, yes. 
The officer asked where the table that was blocking the hallway was usually located. And Jose said the table is usually against the wall. So they had moved the table to block the hallway. You know, they were obviously blocking access to the children. Jose stated that he pushed his way through and opened the bedroom door and saw a trash bag on top of the bed and part of a baby exposed. He took the bag off and said that he saw that the baby had no head. He picked up the baby to, I'm assuming, he didn't say this, but when I read this, that's what I assume, that to make sure that it was a real baby. And he said that the baby and the body was real. He placed the baby back down, went back outside to his brother and asked what happened. His brother said, wait, let me explain. And then John Allen turned to Angela and told her to explain what had happened. Angela replied to Jose, John Allen's brother, by saying that there were three witches moving around the apartment. Jose said that Maria, his girlfriend who was with him, kept asking what was going on, what was going on. So he took her over to the bedroom to see the child. She immediately started crying and said she was gonna call the police. Jose agreed and told John Allen and Angela they were going to Maria's apartment. They were going to call the police. While en route walking to Maria's apartment, they saw the patrol unit officer Cervantes and waved him down, told him what occurred, and that is what led us to the situation that I previously explained. When John Allen and Angela arrived at the police station, they were read their Miranda rights by Officer Clipper, and they also both signed something called a Miranda warning document, which basically meant that they had been read their Miranda rights and they were agreeing to cooperate. At that point, John Rubio, John Allen Rubio, placed both of his hands in front of him on the counter and said to Officer Clipper, I told the officer at the apartment, I killed the kids. What else do you need? At that point, Angela and John were both placed in separate interview rooms. Officer Clipper sp spoke to his sergeant, was told that the Department of Public Safety Crime Lab would be working with the Brownsville Police Department and that he would be the lead investigator on the case. So he asked two detectives to interview John Allen while he sat in. Initially, Officer Clipper noted that John seemed pretty alert and responsive during the interview. They were asking him basically, what's your name, what's your birthday, etc.? Anytime that they neared the homicide conversation or the conversation about his kids who had been killed, he, according to Officer Clipper, pretended to be very sleepy, his eyes closing and almost not being able to respond, basically unresponsive. But then when they would shift the conversation to something more general, he was awake and responsive again. Which makes you think what? he's disassociating with what he did perhaps if I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt I get, not the benefit of the doubt but giving him um, like it was too traumatic for yes. him to like reflect on yes. or look back on right. so he just shut down that's if I'm thinking that he is being authentic right. otherwise and if he's, not then he's just he doesn't want to or if he's being authentic and he's remorseful or, right. or really right. he fucked up right. essentially right and if he's being authentic, as in, I know I did it and I, I don't did want to it. talk about it, then I'm pretending to be just, sleepy. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. In a nearby room, two other detectives were interviewing Angela. 
um, who was uh, the common law wife of John Allen, uh, which means they were together for long enough. Like what, 10 years plus yeah. or something? Yeah. In everything I read, he she was called the common law wife of John Allen, which I, I from what I understand, is 10 years. Well, it's 10 years in the state of California. Yeah, I was going to say it varies state by state. It could be different in Texas, I yeah. guess. But realistically, they were they met in 2001. This was 2003. I, I, oh, I don't I truthfully didn't look it up, but I because it's just hitting me now if I'm being completely honest, I find it hard to believe that anywhere no a common law marriage is after 2 years in where Texas. Yeah, that seems unreasonable, but it, literally every piece Every article, every piece of evidence, even these are official police reports that are published that I read. They call her his common well, law wife. Well, maybe the, it, some states or all states take it into more take more into account than just years. Maybe if you have children, that's true. We'll have to look into that. Either way, in the interview with Angela, which we'll get more into, but just initially, she immediately confessed to murdering her three children and stated that witchcraft made them do it. In the police report that I read, the official police report from uh, Officer Clipper, he noted that in both of the interviews that he sat into, Angela and John Allen never showed any emotion or remorse during both of their confessions. Both of their confessions, uh, John Allen has a written confession Angela also has two written confessions and a videotaped confession. But John Allen's confession, I was able to find um, specifically and exactly as he wrote it. And I'm going to share it. And again, I know I said it before, but this is um, extremely, extremely disturbing. So this is verbatim John Allen's written confession from March 11th, 2003. My name is John Allen Rubio, date of birth, August 12th, 1980. I reside at 805 East Tyler Street, apartment 11. I am currently unemployed. Today I was brought to the Brownsville Police Department. I was read my rights by Detective Thomas Clipper. I signed a form indicating that I understood my rights. I spoke with Detective Sam Lucio, who asked that I tell him what I know about the death of my child and the death of my wife's two children. He asked me who my mother is, and I told him that her name is Hilda B. Rubio, and she's about 48 years old. He asked me about my father, and I told him that I just found out my father's name is Manuel Rubio. I have three brothers, Manuel Rubio Jr., Jose Luis Lopez, and Rodrigo Ivan Barrientos. I told him that I graduated from Porter High School. He asked me to tell him where I have worked. I have worked at Golden Corral and McDonald's two times and a couple of other places. Detective Lucio asked me if I am seeing any doctors, and I am not seeing any doctors. He asked me if I'm using any drugs, and I told him that I've used marijuana and roach pills in the past. Maria Angelo Camacho is my common-law wife. I met Angela two years ago through a friend of mine. She already had one child, Julissa, and she was one month pregnant. She had the baby, and we named the baby after me. Less than a year later, she became pregnant again, and we had Mary Jane. Detective Lucio asked me what happened to Julissa, John, and Mary Jane. Last night, the children started to act like they were possessed. Julissa took a pair of scissors, and she was going to place the scissors in the electrical plug. 
My daughter, Julissa, started to speak like my grandmother, who had passed away, telling me that she came from limbo. She was acting like my grandmother, so I asked her if she wanted me to call her Julissa or Grandma. She told me that she had taken Julissa's soul. Julissa started to laugh in an evil way and started making growling sounds at me. The other two babies started to do the same thing. They started to talk and say things like three witches. They were talking to each other. My wife and I were scared. My wife told me to kill the children because they were evil. I told her that I did not want to kill them, even though my grandmother had taken over her body. I told my wife, I don't want to kill her because I feel like I can control her. My wife, Angela, told me to go ahead and kill them anyways. She then went and got the knives from the kitchen. I then picked up Julissa, and she was still talking like my grandmother and growling at me. She was strong, and I felt like she could manipulate my mind. I started to put spring water on her, and she started to shake. She began to yell at me, you're killing me, you're killing me. I then placed her on the ground, and my wife held her down. I started to choke her because my wife told me I'd rather her die than be infected with evil. My wife gave me a knife and was holding Julissa with her face to the ground. I stabbed her in the back of the neck and the chest several times. I thought I had killed her, but then she got up and started to growl at me and yelled at me to stop. She yelled, please tell dad to stop. I then grabbed her and cut her head off with a machete and she stopped moving. John and Mary were still acting like they were possessed and my wife told me I had to kill them also. I then killed Mary Jane because she was weaker. After that, I tried to grab John and I felt that he was very powerful. When I grabbed Mary Jane, I was choking her very hard, but she would not die. It was very hard because she was my own blood. I kept trying to choke her, but she would not die. I stabbed her, but she kept moving and coming back to life. I tried to cut off her head with a regular kitchen knife, but it would not go through. I was looking for the machete, but I think the witches took the machete. So I was forced to rip her head off with my hands. It was hard, but I managed to pull it off. My wife began to cry. I told her we had to kill them because an evil presence was in them. We both started to cry. Julissa and Mary Jane were now dead but Johnny was still acting very evil. I know that he's not my son, but I love him like he is my son. And I knew I had to kill him because he was the strongest. My wife and I both held him down because he was so strong. I poured water on him and cut his head off with a kitchen knife. I did not stab him, I just cut his head. I'd rather kill him than let him live with the devil inside him. After they were all dead, my wife and I started to cry. We talked about killing ourselves, but we cannot die because we are living in limbo. I tried to cut myself, and the knife would not cut me. It was not sharp enough. My wife and I cleaned the house. We placed Johnny's body in a black plastic bag. I placed his head in a white plastic, black, plastic bag. I placed Julissa and Mary Jane in another black plastic bag and placed their heads behind the crib in another bag. I do not know if their bodies got out of the bags after we left. After we put the bodies in plastic bags, Angela and I went and took a shower. We cleaned ourselves off from the blood. I don't remember what we did with our clothes. We then went to the front room and I told my wife we should make love for the last time because we were going to jail. 
After we made love, we just laid in bed for the rest of the night until the next day. We talked about burning the babies in my grandmother's backyard because she was a witch and she could control their evil power. I then started to think, and I told my wife, maybe I should just call the police and tell them what happened. After all, everyone makes mistakes, and we are not perfect. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. I don't know what to say. Oh, I mean, I've read No, I can't times. say anything about any of that. My earphones are off. My headphones are off. I can't. I can't. Also, you choose to clean your house now? That's what I thought. I mean, I thought a lot of things, but yes. that's a clear... You make love after you've killed all your children? Yeah, I mean, that's just fucked up. But, like, Ugh. you cleaned your environment now? Yeah. Remember you had said it's it's littered oh, with this and that? Hor- horrible. Which, again, I, I understand people who have no money, no means. And also, if you can pick up now once you've killed your children. Well, no money means maybe you live in a terrible place, but it doesn't have to be littered with garbage or well, filthy. Even if it does... The fact, none of that. I have no opinion, nothing. Except for the fact that they decided to pick up and clean up After now. that, yeah. Angela's, um, Angela had several confessions. That was John Allen's only confession. And I'm not going to read another one, so that is the absolute worst of this episode, for anyone wondering. The night that they were arrested on March 11th, Uh, She did give a written confession where she claimed that her common-law husband believed the children were possessed. She told police that the day before, the children had been acting strange and crying a lot, and they felt that someone had put a spell on their children. So they they had to kill them to get the evil spirits out. She said... Go ahead. Can I say something? Yeah, of course. Um, He, what I was thinking actually is when he was talking to the police or giving his confession, he kept saying, my wife told me to do this. My wife told me to do that, which perhaps she did. Mm -hmm. And also, way to protect, not that he, I mean, I get it, but like he just kind of like. Oh, they turned on each other. I mean, clear, even then before. And you just, that's what reminded me because you had said she started to say her husband this. Mm -hmm. So like, gosh, wow, really, really. Immediate. Immediate, he said that she was the one, in his first and only statement, he said that she was the one who convinced him. She kept telling him, we have to kill the children. And in her first statement, you know, remember, they have been separated immediately from when when Officer Cervantes went to the apartment, put them in the car. They were in separate police cars. They never saw each other again. And both of them, in their initial statements, both said the other said told them to do it. Um, she said they rubbed an egg on Julissa and dropped it in a container of water to check for proof of a curse. And she said, quote, the way the egg floated told us something bad had happened to Julissa. This is, I guess, a common practice uh, in in this kind of spiritual culture. Thank you. Um, when treating a person afflicted with, they call it, uh, the evil eye in Spanish, it's um, malojo. That's exactly right. Is that right? Malojo. Malojo. Mal means bad and ojo. Means eye. Yeah. Um, 
so that was on the night of March 11th. That was her confession. She essentially, aside from saying that John Allen had told her we have to kill the children rather than her telling him, everything else was essentially the same as his statement. Um, and the next, but the next morning, uh, March 12th, she told officers that she would like to recant her initial statement and give a new statement. She told detectives, my initial statement was not true. The real reason we killed our children was because of money problems. The financial pressures mounting on the family were so intense that on that day that rent was due, they couldn't pay their rent, they couldn't feed their kids, they had no more food stamps, they had no more Medicaid. And she said, quote, it was better for the children to die rather than suffer. Um, in her second statement, she again said that they killed the girls first and two hours later decided to kill Johnny because they didn't want him to suffer alone. Um, they had planned to put the bodies in a shopping cart and take them to the city cemetery and bury them and then run away to Mexico and start over. Uh, when investigators asked Angela why she would go along with such a heinous and appalling plan, she said, quote, because we were afraid. I didn't want to lose my husband again because he had gone to jail before I was afraid and I had never been to jail. Now, I could find no record of, of John Allen having gone to jail, so I, I'm not quite sure the content, context of that. Um, when the detectives asked Angela if she thought that she was going to go to jail, she said yes, because we did something wrong. It seems like her brain was working to some extent. And I know Certainly. what you said earlier. It do, here, the IQ and all of that, one, IQ doesn't mean like a mental uh, like a struggle, but IQ aside, she she came to, or maybe she came to the night before, but she was more honest, it sounds like, the next day. Remorseful, yes, absolutely. Well, no, more honest. Oh, more, more honest, certainly. Well, sure, remorseful, I don't know. But more honest, right? She's, I don't know if that's the honest truth, but she gave a reasonable, no, okay, let me retract that, not reasonable. It sounds more honest. Yep. Not reasonable. She was read back her, her statement the next day, the second statement, and she initialed every paragraph after it was read back to her and signed the confession. So both of them at this point have confessed. While they were slightly different confessions, and her second confession was obviously um, a different reasoning than the first, they had both admitted to killing and decapitating their children. Uh, the autopsy that was performed on the kids was very disturbing. Julissa's autopsy showed that she had 12 stab wounds on her face and neck and 21 stab wounds across her chest. The baby had 20 stab wounds and Johnny, the little boy, suffered from broken ribs and vertebrae. It was quickly determined that John, Allen, and Angela would be tried separately. And John Allen's trial actually happened relatively quickly uh, in the scheme of things. It happened within the same year that the homicides happened. But Angela's was met with multiple delays. 
It seemed that the Mexican government had a huge issue with Texas attempting to execute because they had stated from the beginning they would be seeking the death penalty for both John Allen and Angela. So it seemed that the the Mexican government had an issue with Texas attempting to execute one of their own. And they, the Mexican government filed complaints not only with Texas, but with the federal government. The Mexican government opposes the death penalty wholeheartedly and confirmed to the prosecutors of this case that their lawyers were ready to appeal a death sentence if that was what was going to be sought out for Angela because she was not, you know, she was here illegally. She was a Mexican national. Beyond that, the question of her mental health and competency was in strong question, which was going to delay this case a lot. Texas spent two years trying to determine if Angela was legally competent to stand trial in a capital murder case because her and John Allen had both been charged with capital murder. During the time that Texas was working on getting Angela's trial underway, John Allen, despite his written confession, insisted on going to trial. Attorneys claimed that John Allen was innocent by reason of insanity. And just in case they were unable to prove that John Allen was insane, his attorneys also proposed that he was so far under the influence of spray paint fumes that he didn't know what he was doing or appreciate the seriousness of his crimes. So he stood trial, and he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity to four counts of capital murder one count for each child and an additional count because more than one victim was killed at the same time. Uh, There were very, uh, as I said, there were varying statements that they both gave, but in one of Angela's statements, she claimed that John Allen killed both girls at the same time, which uh, accounted for an additional capital murder charge. Uh, John Allen testified in his own trial that he used an array of drugs, including marijuana, huffing spray paint, and roaches, or flinitzapam, a medication commonly referred to as the date rape drug, which induces memory impairment, drowsiness, visual disturbances, dizziness, confusion, among other effects. I don't know if that's a roofie. Maybe it's the generic of ruhypnol, flunitzacan, flunitzapam. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He also testified that from the moment he first saw Angela, he felt that he would do anything to, quote, make her happy until the last moment of my life. He also insisted that the entire thing was Angela's idea entirely. Luckily, the jury didn't buy any of it, and he was convicted and sentenced to death in 2003 upon his request. At his sentencing, he requested the death penalty. And I'm guessing he was awarded it? That's kind of... In 2003, he was. Well, right. Is he dead? I will let you know. First, we're going to talk about Angela. And I want to say before I read this uh, small bit from the Brownsville Herald, uh, I know that this word is not generally appropriate to say anymore, but this is taken directly from the newspaper. So according, this is quote, according to court documents, Angela is scheduled to appear in a retardation hearing, also known as an Atkins motion. 
so that a judge can rule on her mental state. If she is found to be retarded, she could avoid the death penalty since the Supreme Court decision in 2002 deemed it cruel and unusual punishment to execute mentally retarded individuals. The defense claimed that Angela had scored below the retardation level in four different IQ tests. The first was administered on March 14, 2003, three days after her children were found murdered. And the last was administered on March 5, 2004. A score below 70 on IQ test marks the legal line for retardation. And she scored far below that, around 50. Well, she also scored far below that or prior below to, that prior to prior. that. Absolutely. Her, one of her defense attorneys, Alberto Pullen, said that a retardation ruling in the Atkins motion would be monumental because it would be the first case in the history of the United States where the death penalty against a Mes- Mexican national would be avoided. 2004, May, more than a year after being charged with the decapitation deaths of her children, they ruled that she was competent to stand trial. One of her attorneys, Ernesto Gamez, said, Angela's getting better. Our psychiatrist, Dr. David Moran, it's spelled like moron, but I have to believe his name is not pronounced moron. <laughs> I mean, I know it's, it's just Dr. David Moron. I have to believe it's moron. It's M-O-R-O-N. It's literally spelled moron. <laughs> moron. <laughs> so uh, her attorney said, our psychiatrist, Dr. David Moran has had her on medication for a year now, and she is, in his opinion, competent to stand trial. Dr. Moran originally diagnosed Angela as incompetent, stating that she is currently experiencing a severe depression with psychotic features. But a steady intake of Lexapro and Risperdal, an antidepressant and antipsychotic, has improved her condition. Her attorney Ernesto said, without her current medication, she's not quite all there. We're talking about a lady that is hallucinating and has seen her children appear in her jail cell multiple times. Multiple times she is seeing ghosts. Ultimately, her case was tied up for more than two years due to issues of mental health and problems with the Mexican government. But on June 30th, 2005, Angela agreed to take a plea deal, pleading guilty to three counts of capital murder in the decapitation deaths of her three young children. She received three concurrent life prison sentences instead of the death penalty. Cameron County District Attorney, which is uh, Cameron County is where Brownsville is. So Cameron County District Attorney Armando Villalobos said the plea deal was better than a costly fight for a death sentence that might later be commuted to life. Quote, the decision to remove the death penalty in our plea bargaining was truly the most agonizing decision of my first six months of office. However, we felt that the real battle would be in the 12 to 15 years after the jury trial that would take place in the appellate and Supreme Courts of Texas in the United States. Had Angela been convicted and sentenced to death, she would have become the first Mexican national female on Texas's death row. He said that Angela would be transferred to a state prison somewhere likely in Huntsville and probably would be in isolation for protection from other inmates. Villalobos said, quote, she murdered children. She murdered babies. As odd as it may seem, the prisoners have their own hierarchy. Angela will be eligible for parole in 2043. 
If she is granted parole, she will be immediately deported back to Mexico. But she has stated that she prefers to stay in prison in the United States, even if it is in Texas. 2043. So that's only 20 years. So I was about to say, oh, she'll be dead, but she likely won't. She's about 43 years old right now. She remains in custody at the Christina Melton Crane Unit in Gatesville, Texas. March 3rd, 2043, she will be eligible for parole. Unfortunately, it turns out that John Allen, after asking for the death penalty, decided, no, I'd like to fight this. And due to a slight procedural error in his initial trial, he was permitted to appeal and fight his ruling. Because Angela refused to testify against him, prosecutors admitted into evidence her videotaped and written confessions. But according to the Texas Supreme Court, you're not allowed to do this. Because every accused person has the right to confront their witness in person at their trial. And since she refused to go to trial, refused to testify against him, his conviction was overturned in September 2007 by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals on the basis that out-of-court statements were unconstitutionally used against him. This meant that Texas was required to start the entire thing over again, which meant that they once again would have to prove that John Allen was sane. His defense team in the second trial presented tons of experts and tried to convince the judge and jury that John Allen was crazy. Each of them had a ton, a litany of reasons as to why he was insane. He had learning disabilities. He had ADD. He had a very, very low IQ. One even claimed that his IQ was so low that he was too stupid to kill anyone. But unfortunately for John Allen, while he was in prison, he had become the go-to guy for other inmates who needed help filling out forms and various written requests. He had been busy reading law books, law dictionaries. He was researching legal cases. So much so that he became the person that other inmates would regularly request to meet with to get legal advice. So he wasn't that dumb. Exactly. So despite every effort that his attorneys put into trying to prove that he was insane, he was found competent to stand trial. And this time, apparently, Angela would be testifying and Texas would again seek the death penalty. His defense in this second trial used this time testimony from his mother. She admitted to drinking beer every single day while she was pregnant. Uh, She claimed that he suffered from severe hallucinations as a child and that she pushed him into prostitution at the young age of eight years old. A doctor that the defense had examined John Allen in the 2003 trial, his initial trial, and testified again at this trial saying that he was insane at the time of the offense. Regardless, the jury found him guilty once again in July of 2010, and his death sentence was reinstated. But he refused to give up. Over the next 12 years, he continued to make further appeals to higher courts with multiple claims like his Sixth Amendment rights were violated, um, that they failed to look into the effects of prenatal exposure to intoxicants, um, everything that he could possibly appeal on, he did. They denied his appeal initially in January 2022, 
But in February 2022, a federal court revealed that it would grant a stay on his case, allowing him to submit a new appeal to a Texas court. His case was reopened, and he was given until April 2022 to submit an amended petition. As of March 2023, so just a few months ago, they were asked they had asked for extensions they were asking for another extension apparently quote they were seeking an extension not to delay this but to ensure adequate time to prepare upcoming filings um his his counsel apparently was under particularly heavy litigation uh he also had a special counsel a professor at the university of texas school of law who had a very heavy teaching load and needed extension. As of now, John Allen Rubio sits on death row for 20 years now at the Polunsky unit in Livingston, Texas. He is yet to be put to death because his case is still pending retrial in federal court. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Yeah, there's not much to say after all of that. Um, so there is no real, con- you know, Angela is in jail. Uh, John Allen is also in jail, but, has, you know, is potentially having another third trial somewhere down the line. Um, the apartment building where these three children were killed um, I didn't get into a lot of it. There's a lot of history there. It was considered a historic building. Um, After all of this happened, people in the community were outraged, obviously, and wanted it torn down. Uh, There was a huge debate. Eventually, in, uh, I believe, 2017, it was torn down, and they built a park called the Trace Angeles Park. Um, I think that means Three Angels, probably. Um, it was built in its place. It's, it features three trees planted for each of the children. One of the neighbors, said, uh, Minnie Perez, said, I've lived here my whole life. I was born right there, two houses from where this happened. And this neighborhood completely changed when these three children were killed. Um, it was obviously horrific, but the entire community really came together. Uh, I usually try and find a silver lining at the end of one of these. I don't think there really is one here. So, I, I, I did, I will end with this. I, I looked, I always look to see if there are other podcasts that have covered any of the stories that we cover before we do them, just to see, you know, what else is out there. Um, I only found two podcast episodes ever on this story, I'm guessing because, I don't know, it is so horrible. Um, one of them, I, I, I listened to both, one of them, is called Sword and Scale. And there's a woman who, not about these murders, honestly, she she likes to say or she claims that, that the book she wrote is more about this historic building and, and the terrible things that happened there, including this. But in her book, there's only one chapter on the murders. The rest of it is about the community, 
about Brownsville, about this apartment building. On multiple, it sounds like multiple awful things yeah. according to this person happened there. Yeah. It was a really interesting, uh, I'll, I'll have to link that if anybody's interested. It was a, it was an interesting episode. It, it does not go as deeply into these murders as we did. Um, but it is an interview with this author, Laura Tillman. She wrote a book called The Long Shadow, The Long Shadow of Small Ghosts. Murder and Memory in an American City. Um, and the host of the podcast asked her, she interviewed John Allen multiple times. She met him. She corresponded with him for years and then went and met him and spoke to him in jail. And in her book, I guess she said that she she related to him in certain ways. And the host of the podcast said, you know, doesn't that scare you? Like this this horrible person, how could you relate? And she said, you know, it doesn't because he was remorseful. When I met him, he was remorseful. He admitted to what he did. He knew he had done something wrong. And I think that that's far better than somebody who doesn't have remorse. And I, I, I enjoyed the interview. It was a great episode of this podcast. I strongly disagreed with her. I felt... I felt she was not giving this, not giving John Allen a pass, but she was almost understanding not of what he did, but of the struggle that he had. And, and I don't know it. I didn't like it, but um, it did. They discussed something that I thought was an interesting question to pose to anyone who's listening to this. She, they talked about if he had had a different upbringing, if he had not been in prostitution at age eight, if he had had the resources for mental health counseling and medication and things like that, that maybe he wouldn't have found himself in this place. And, and her feelings were, yes, probably he wouldn't. And my feelings, I actually don't know. I'll be honest, I don't know, but I lean more towards... I don't care, I think, which sounds harsh, but I, I don't care. I find no sympathy for someone who did something like this. And I, it's terrible to grow up like that, but I can't understand finding any sympathy for someone who did that. Um, so I'd be interested to hear. Maybe what she didn't find sympathy. I have no idea. I haven't listened to whatever you're, you're saying about the Tillman woman yeah. author. Mm -hmm. So maybe she didn't find sympathy. Maybe she found... It can be both, right? Like sh maybe she found some under, not understanding or like some compassion. Yeah, compassion. I, I yeah. actually believe, and I haven't heard any of whatever you're saying. Not whatever you're saying. I don't mean to push it off like no, that. No, no, no. The the book and the interview. I haven't yeah. looked into any of that. I believe, or from the little that I hear right now, I do believe that if he hadn't been a, you know at eight, whatever, been pushed out to be a sex worker and then this and that and had had some support and some, I don't know, support, whether it be mental health support or just parental, support, guardian, yeah. uh, uh, someone, a mentor, that perhaps this wouldn't have happened. Also, perhaps. Maybe it still would have. No, that, it, that's true. I can think that and still say, 
that doesn't change how I feel about what this person did. No, that's a very good point. I think I agree with you. I You're really right. do think it could be both. Like, yes, if this person had had a, like, if I had had different circumstances, I'd be different, whether better, worse, or in the middle. You're right. You know, you, you said that you explained that way better. You're absolutely right. Because I, I think I asked this question on one of the last episodes about, the truck stop killer, that if he wasn't a truck driver, would he have done the same thing? And um, our Sean Thompson, our human GPS, had written and said, I think even if he wasn't a truck driver, he probably would have still killed people and he probably still would have been caught. And I totally agree with that. And you're right. I think John Allen and Angela were not serial killers. Um, I find their, I think their crime is a bit more hard to, talk about and understand but you're right maybe if he had had a different upbringing he wouldn't have gotten to this point well and or if they hadn't gotten maybe their upbringing contributed like all of our none of it's an excuse none of it's like that's oh okay they get a pass that's right we all are affected by our upbringing our interactions what's modeled to us all of the things and that's good and great once we're adults if we can wake up and I understand some people can't whether they have a very low IQ and mental health issues ultimately yes we're all a product of all of those things our environment and and if we had had a different environment we it's not even better or worse we'd just be different right so if they had had a different all of those things they'd be different also I anyone can do anything so if you wake up as an adult and say, Hey, I'm fucked up. Yeah. Let me try and work on this. Or I feel the urge to do this or that, whether it's killing people or not. Also, they were on drugs. Like, I think that's a big piece that like, that's a very, seems very simple, but we're also missing that or not missing it, but like not landing on that. Like they were, or he, John Allen was was huffing. Right. Yes, absolutely. I I think, I guess if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't know what I think. I think that like something like this, I, I've been on this case for a little under a week. I think something like this takes a lot longer to try and process. So I, I actually don't fully have all of my thoughts collected if I'm being totally honest. And as somebody just reading about it and learning about it and having never talked to anybody involved in it, it's impossible to have a, um, a full picture opinion i think it's impossible unless you're that person too like i've just heard this the first time right now i have no opinion i'm just saying if i take into what i consciously think i know uh it's just of course all those things affected them and also he was huffing yeah i don't know if that was the catalyst for it Maybe I, that made him more chilled out. I have no idea. No, never I think it made him pink. Me either. I, and I don't know that much about it aside from what I learned through researching this. But apparently, it does cause extreme paranoia, and it sounds like that played a a major role in it. And then the perfect storm of her being um, less able to think on her own and following in others' footsteps. If we're to believe that he was kind of the leader in this, a lot of questions. And it's just, I mean, it's it's a it's a bit of an overwhelming case quite honestly last night or the night before when I was researching it I texted Jenna and said I'm I'm researching our next story and it's the first time that I found myself crying while I'm researching and and I 
I actually texted Brandon and said, how do I know if a case is too heavy to tell? And he said, you don't. So you have to go heavy and see how it's received and then go from there. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Reading his statement, it feels uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. And I I don't know. I'm learning that. I guess I I don't know. It feels too heavy. And it also feels like um, it felt like a story that I wanted to share. Um, And we'll see how it's received. And I I would be interested to hear listener feedback on on both if this is too far. um, And then also your opinions, more resources, a different upbringing. How does that contribute to what happened with this case and with that i think we're just gonna go ahead and end i'm not even gonna say good night and good luck i'm gonna say hug your loved ones hug hug your loved ones i will second that and we thank you guys for listening and we will be back next week with a bonus and thank you good night 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 bye <laughs> Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. <laughs>